Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of the examination of Jesus as the Passover lamb. Today's program is a continuation of the previous program where I was speaking about the Herodians. Now, the Herodians were asking Jesus a question, and I do not believe that they were thinking of him as the Passover lamb that they were examining. But the question that they asked him and the questions that were asked of him by the chief priests and the Sadducees, these qualify as examining him to determine if there is any blemish within him as the lamb of God on the basis of sincerity and truth. And so I've been speaking about this subject, this time in the Lord Jesus' ministry, between the time when he arrived in Jerusalem in his triumphal entry, when the people selected him or declared that he was the Messiah, the King, that occurred on the 10th day of the month. This is the festival of Passover, and he was crucified on the 14th day of the month. These programs are about what took place in between, just before his trial. Now, in the previous program, I was explaining what the Herodians were saying when they were speaking to the Lord Jesus. In Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 16, it says, And they sent to him their disciples, referring to the Pharisees, with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true, which of course they do not really think that he is true, and teach the way of God in truth, but they don't really believe that, nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. And I spent a few minutes in the previous program explaining that people have their own value system. They have their own definitions concerning how people should relate to them, how people should regard them, or how people should regard others. They have their own value system, and they are speaking from the point of view of their value system by telling the Lord Jesus that he does not regard the person of men and he does not care about anyone. And I explained in the previous program that I can think of no one who would hold the world in higher regard or care about anyone. No one could do more than what the Lord Jesus did by giving his life for the sins of the world. To me, that is evidence enough to show that the Herodians may have been speaking from their perspective, but that's because of what they wanted from the Lord Jesus. But the way that the Lord Jesus did care for them, the way that he did regard them, is more important than the way that they wanted to be cared for or the way that they wanted to be regarded. Let me give you an example. Consider a person who does not do very much to take care of themselves. One of the reasons why some people do not do very much to take care of themselves is because they would rather somebody else do things to take care of them. That is their value system. They believe that they exist for someone else to take care of. And they may esteem a sense of value in that way because they are providing a service for that person, making that person look really good because that person is doing a good thing by taking care of them. And so, really, the person who is taking care of them owes them 
because they are providing them, the person who is being taken care of is providing them the service of providing them with someone who makes them look good through their generosity. And so the person who is generous, after they have given to them, now owes them more because of the service of providing them with someone who gave them such generosity. I realize it's very unusual to be able to identify this within people. It's very unusual because there are many ways of hiding this. But this is the attitude of a lot of people. This is the attitude that I have run into in enough people that I think it's worthy of mentioning. I think it's acceptable to mention that, especially in this context, to give you an example, that there are people who really believe that others should take care of them and that they do not have to contribute to the lives of others, that others exist to contribute to their life, but they don't really have to contribute to others' lives, except perhaps in the context that I just described. And while I believe that is a very inappropriate way of having a relationship with someone, there are a lot of people who do believe that that is an appropriate relationship that that is an appropriate way to relate to other people. Now, again, from my point of view, I see that this is a problem and that the person who is being taken care of in this sense, they should be contributing a little bit more to the relationships with the people that they have around them. One way to consider this is that a person can learn how to do something. A very good classical example is that if you give someone a fish, you feed them for a day. But if you teach them how to fish then you feed them for a lifetime. There are a lot of people who would say, no, don't teach me how to fish because I would rather you just give me a fish. And I can understand that that is the attitude of a lot of people. But it is my opinion that it is more appropriate for the person to learn how to do things, to learn how to fish, to be able to take care of themselves, and also perhaps produce something that they can share with somebody else. So it really depends on your value system. When the Herodians speak to Jesus about, you do not care about anyone, well, the person who I just spoke of, who wants other people to take care of them, can easily say that of other people. They can say, you don't care about me because you just want to teach me how to fish. You don't want to just give me a fish. You don't care about me. If you really cared about me, you would not expect me to go and get involved with all these smelly, stinky fish. That is the attitude of a number of people, and it is an example to show you what the Herodians were saying in their own way, with their own value system. Now, the Herodians speak to the Lord Jesus about tax money. That's their question. Should we be paying taxes to Caesar or not? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? That's in Matthew chapter 22, verse 17. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? What they were asking him was a yes or no question. Now, if he says yes... It is lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, then he could be contradicting his position as the Messiah, as the King of Israel, because he is effectively declaring his allegiance to Caesar as the King, as the Caesar, instead of himself. If he says no, well, then they can go to the Romans and say that he is declaring that no one should be paying taxes to Caesar, that it's unlawful. So they will arrest him for sedition, and that should be the end of the problem, right? Of course, he does get arrested for sedition, and he is crucified. He's executed for that by the Romans. 
but this needs to happen at the appropriate time, on the appropriate day, and in the appropriate way, and this is not it. It happens a few days later. In this case, though, the Lord Jesus will not answer the question with either yes or no, because either way, he is going to experience problems if he does answer the question that way. So he's going to answer the question differently. Now, before I get into his answer, I'd like to explain a little bit about the significance of the question. First of all, we need to consider who the Herodians are. The Herodians are not religious people, not in the sense of the Sadducees or the Pharisees or the scribes, or even the people for that matter. The Herodians are considered to be a political party. That's one way of looking at the Herodians from our perspective today. You could think of them as a group of people who are a part of a certain political persuasion. In this case, they are in favor of the rule of the Herods. Now, the the Herodians, the Herods, is a family. It is a group of people. It's not about just one Herod specifically. It's about many of them. And for them to be recognized as Herodians, what that effectively means is that they are in favor of these people being in charge of certain regions. And, of course, their authority is granted to them by the Romans being declared a king or a governor or a tetrarch. So you've got these people who are in favor of the rule of these Herodians. Why would they be in favor of a specific group of people ruling, and why would they identify themselves as Herodians, take a name upon themselves in addition to being in favor of these people being in charge? What does that really mean? What it means is, is that they are obtaining benefit from not only being in favor of these people ruling, but they are obtaining benefit because they are effectively promoting the value of these people ruling. Now, what are they going to get in return? I mean, what difference does it really make who's ruling, who's in charge? What really matters is what are the laws and how are they going to be enforced? In that way, there is significance, there is importance with regards to who is in charge, But people can protest to Caesar, and he can make adjustments accordingly. I mean, there are systems of checks and balances within any governmental structure that can manage these kinds of issues. But what I would like you to consider is that there is something else besides just having these specific people in power. There is a benefit to be obtained. This is the benefit. The benefit has to do with the tax money. It has to do with the tax money because the tetrarchs, the governors, the kings, who were under the authority of Caesar, received a portion of the taxes in order to exercise their authority. In order to exercise their authority, they needed a place to stay. They needed food to eat. They needed servants in order to do things and perform tasks in order to free up their time so that they can make decisions as they were required to make decisions concerning how to govern their region. They needed the money in order to pay people to perform services on their behalf so that they could have the architecture, the organization, to be able to fulfill what Caesar wanted them to do on his behalf. So they received a portion of the tax money that was collected in their regions. 
and they used this money by paying other people to do things. The Herodians, in most cases, the people who identified themselves as Herodians were not just in favor of the Herod's ruling, but they were the recipients of the tax money. They were the recipients in the sense that they performed services that they were paid for, and there were a lot of services that people could provide in exchange for the money that the governors and the tetrarchs would have at their disposal. They would be in favor of these people ruling because they get a cut, because they get a percentage, because they get a job. That's what it meant, for the most part, to be a Herodian. It wasn't about a philosophy. It wasn't about a religion. We could describe them as a political party. But I believe that a better description, a much more accurate description, would be that these were people who were politically in favor of them because they were receiving a cut. And so when they're asking the Lord Jesus about taxes, what they are really asking him is, is it lawful to pay taxes because we certainly would like people to obey the law and pay their taxes because that's where we get our money from. We get a cut off of those taxes for the services that we provide for the Herodians. Now, there's a little bit more to understand about the significance of the tax money in order to understand his answer to their question. The answer was, but Jesus perceived their wickedness. This is found in verse 18, Matthew chapter 22, verse 18. But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, why do you test me, you hypocrites? And I explained that in the previous program. In verse 19, show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God, the things that are God's. Now, a lot of people have taken this, and they've talked about tithing and all kinds of different ideas and philosophies and theologies from this passage. But I'm going to explain this passage from the point of view of taxes and from the point of view of the question that he raises. In order to really understand and appreciate what Jesus is saying, you're going to have to understand money. And by saying that, I am, of course, implying that there are a lot of people who simply do not understand a lot about money. There certainly are a lot of people who do, but for the sake of the people, the overwhelming majority of people who do not, I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about money in order to appreciate the answer that he gives. Now, money can be defined in a number of ways. In this case, the definition that I'm going to use is the means of exchange And I'm also going to add the basis of society, the means of exchange and the basis for society. Now, from the point of view of the means of exchange, you can say, well, money is what you use in order to exchange for things. And that, of course, is a reasonable way of understanding it. But I want you to consider it from a greater perspective, not just the means of exchange, but from the point of view of the basis of society as it relates to the means of exchange. In a society... In a society, you have a collection of people, and these people can work together a lot, or they can work together little. If you will chart the rise and fall of civilizations, you can find that as people work together more, you have an increase in the civilization, an increase in the society as a whole, 
And then as people work together less, you have a decline or a decrease in that civilization, in that society. Now, it doesn't mean that that is the cause. There are many other causes. I'm just saying that it's one way to perceive and understand or at least monitor the rise and fall of civilizations. And the reason why is because if people are able to work together more, there is more of an opportunity for specialization. Specialization has value in the sense that if a person will specialize in one or two things, that they will focus specifically their energy on a certain task, on a certain field, on a certain skill, then that specialization can increase their efficiency. There is greater efficiency in specialization in the sense that people can focus on doing one thing, they can do one thing really well, instead of doing a lot of things, but not necessarily so well. The opportunity for specialization comes from the circumstances that occur when people are able to work together more. In other words, if you need to eat food, you need to have clothing, and you need to have shelter, if you will just focus on clothing, or if you will focus your skills and your work on food, or if you will focus your skills and efforts on shelter, then other people can work on the other things that you are not focusing on. On this basis, people will be able to work together more. But when people are working together, they have to have a means of exchange, and this exchange has to be a measure of labor the amount of labor. A denarius represented a day's wage for a lot of skills, for a lot of people. People received different amounts of money for different things, but it's a reasonable measure concerning a day's wage during this time in history. This measurement would say that if we are going to do one day's worth of work for one person doing one thing, and then they do one day's worth of work doing another thing, then we can exchange the value of that amount of goods or services according to the money. So the money becomes a measurement of the labor, the amount of labor. It's a way of measuring that in order to have a way of exchanging labor, goods, and services with each other. So money provides a means of exchange in order to increase or to facilitate the transactions between people as you have an increase in society. That's what I mean by it being the means of the basis for society in this context because it defines the amount of labor that people are performing, gives them a means of exchange. The truth of that exchange is necessary. We have to know exactly what the value of that money really is, and the money should not be changing in value over time. It should be based on the amount of labor. The denarius was defined by a certain amount of silver, which means that it took a certain amount of labor to get a certain amount of silver in one day, and that amount of silver was put into this coin. That's what gave the coin its value, and that's why it was used honestly and honorably as a means of exchange, until, of course, the government began to debase that currency and not put as much silver into those coins, which is one of the reasons why the Roman Empire eventually collapsed. But that's another topic. In this case, what I would like to emphasize is the importance of having money, what money is, and that it is the basis for society and that we need to depend on whoever manufactures those coins to do so honestly and honorably 
to trust them for the basis of our society. Now, when there are a lot of transactions taking place in a society, then what we could say is that we have what's called horizontal integration. Horizontal integration in the sense that people are more specialized in what they do. But when there is a breakdown in the means of exchange, when there is a breakdown in the currency, then what you will begin to see, and this is one of the ways of being able to identify what phase your country or your society is in, or what other societies have been in concerning their rise or their decline, is that when people become more self-sufficient, you see what I would call vertical integration as opposed to horizontal integration. A person integrates vertically, vertically in the sense that they begin to do many things instead of specializing in one thing. And the reason why they will do many things is so that they do more things for themselves instead of relying on other people. And the value of this for them is that they do not need money as much as they did before. So when you start seeing vertical integration taking place within individuals, when individuals begin to change their lives in such a way that they're not specialized, but they are vertically integrating their lives more, it's a way of recognizing that there probably is a problem with the currency, with the means of exchange that it is being devalued by the government, it's being devalued, and so people can't trust it anymore, they can't rely on it anymore. The basis of society begins to fragment, it begins to decay as a society, as those who can tell what's going on and have the skills to be able to protect themselves begin to protect themselves so that they don't go down with the sinking ship of the country or the nation that they are a part of. Now, what's important to recognize is that it is the government who is considered to be responsible for the currency, for the integrity of the currency. So when the Herodians show Jesus the tax money and he sees the image of Caesar on the denarius, then the conversation that takes place between Jesus and the Herodians then becomes a conversation of Whose money is this? Are you using this money? You're using this money. If this is your money, and this is Caesar who made this money, then you are trusting Caesar for your basis of your society. You have put your trust and your faith in him to be able to interact with others, to be able to exchange with others, to be able to live your life in your horizontal way that you are obviously living in, being a Herodian, You're a Herodian in the sense that you are benefiting from your relationship with the Herodians by receiving this money in exchange for your services, which probably are specialized. Your specialized services are the testimony that you have to depend on the money. You have to depend on the person who manufactured the money, on the person whose image is on the money. You have to depend and trust in him for your life. For your existence, it was that way back then, and it's that way right now. Take a look at the money that you have. Whoever made that money, whatever bank, whatever government made that money, you are trusting in them for your life. That's what this conversation is about between Jesus and the Herodians. So when he says, when Jesus responds and says in verse 21, 
Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. What he is saying is that if you are going to trust in Caesar for your basis of your society, of your civilization, of your life, of your existence, then do so and give him a portion for the services that he has provided for you. Pay your taxes. Pay your taxes because he has provided you with the money to exchange for your goods and services, and so give him a portion of it. If that's who you're going to trust in and rely on, go ahead. Then he continues and he says, and to God, the things that are God's. Now he doesn't pull out a shekel, a shekel produced by the temple, by the priesthood, and says, here, we are to trust in this money, in this government. He doesn't do that. He says, and to God, the things that are God's. Whatever God gives to you for your basis of society, for your basis of civilization, for your means of exchange, for your life existence, then give that to him. Give that to him in the sense of live your life with what he has given to you. He doesn't mean give to him something that he gave to you or a portion of what he gave. He's not saying that because the Lord is not interested in taking a percentage off of what he gives to you. That's not what he's doing. That's not the relationship that he has with us. The Herodians would not have understood that, though. They would have only understood him saying that if you're going to trust God for your life, then do so. If you're going to trust Caesar for your life, then do so. But it's your choice. It's your decision. And you will experience the benefit or the cost of your decision. You are free to choose. You are free to decide. It is your choice, and it has nothing to do with what the Lord Jesus is doing there. He is there in order to proclaim the truth and to encourage people to turn to the living God for their basis of society, to turn away from the Romans, to turn away from the priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and to realize that there is a God who will guide them and lead them and give them the means of having civilization with others. And I will continue with this in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is livinggodministries.net. Thank you,